Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. I'm your host. This podcast is a companion podcast to The Angel. We cover accelerators, incubators, founders, startups, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, and we also look at family offices, investment firms, uh, VCs, venture capital, hedge funds, you name it. Um, today, I am particularly um, happy to welcome to our podcast um, Bernardo, I should say Dr. Bernardo Perez Villa. He is a senior innovations engagement partner at Cleveland Clinic Innovations. Welcome, Bernardo. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me here. It's an enormous pleasure. So, so nice to have you. Um, and you and I um, inter over, we didn't intersect, but we overlapped um, in an interesting way in Colorado. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But to give people a sense of, how you work and the things you look at as uh, at Cleveland Clinic Innovations. Um, you recently posted on LinkedIn um, news of a study in um, Nature Medicine magazine. It was about the use of. Um, uh, I'm going to actually rather than rather than miss it, mess, mess it up. I want to say exactly what you have here. Shows how deep brain stimulation or DBS shows promise for helping stroke patients regain control of their movements. Study is built on more than a decade of work, of preclinical work by your team at Cleveland Clinic. Um, and so I'm really interested about this as sort of, sort of a way to showcase what you do um, at the Cleveland Clinic. So how do you keep track of studies like that, of things like that, of innovation like that at the Cleveland Clinic? Thanks for, for the question, Michael. And I think that the you said it very fast, but, but it's fine. But there was a number there. You said over 10, 10 years, or you said, uh, I think. It, yeah, uh, I was just years. reading from yeah, over 10 years. Yeah. Over 10 years. And, and that can go through your head very fast. And that's a very important message that I would like to convey to your audience. And, and I'm pretty sure that they already know it. It takes time. It takes, it takes time. a lot <laughs> of time in order to go from what is in my head, what is the idea, that abstract things, to convert it, as we call it, to an invention, which is something more tangible, to the innovation that you were mentioning. So it took 10 years or even perhaps more if you will go and talk with the real inventors of that technology. And what we, the way that we track that at Cleveland Clinic is with my role of the engagement partner. I go and I know the door of any caregiver because, because every idea matters. That's our motto in the engagement partners. It doesn't matter if you are an admin person, if you're a nurse, if you're a technician, a physician assistant, a doctor, the chair of the institute department, we don't care. We care that you might be solving an unmet clinical need. And we know that it's going to take time to develop. So we want to help you to that, to identify that unmet clinical need, to conceptualize that solution, but with the main goal that we can bring it to the market. Maybe we cannot take it to the market and I will tell you, okay, let's keep doing some research. And we are very lucky at Cleveland Clinic. We have a very prestigious and a lot of funding, internal funding and external funding to do research. But people sometimes confuse that. What is innovation is a very vast word and what is research, and what is bringing something that is solving an unmet clinical need to market. 
Okay, so so let's let's talk about that. What is innovation at the Cleveland Clinic, and how is it different from just research? Where, where does the where does the innovation come in? That's a very difficult question to answer in, in half an hour. I'm kidding. No, we can do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I always give the same example between the difference research, invention, and innovation, and I, and I know that it's going to be complicated, um, controversial. Electricity. You have Einstein, Faraday, and even Benjamin Franklin, they, they did a lot of research about electricity, right? They have a lot of ideas how electricity works. And then you have our friends Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. And they helped to transform that research into an, an invention. And, and they tried to develop it to millions of millions of people. So, sorry to turn the questions to you. Who do you think it was the inventor and who do you think it was the innovator, if you want? Oh, this is Tesla a great question. Edison? Because my great-grandfather was a contemporary of Thomas Edison and had 500 patents. So I'm going to say my great-grandfather, <laughs> Thomas E. Murray. That, but seriously, I, perfect. so when you, the research, so I think what you're saying is um, there's research and there's data and there's science, but yes. the innovator is able to bridge the gap between innovation, research, and science and the marketplace and to bring a product Correct. to market eventually, right? Correct. Well, uh, to the market. And just one final question. Sorry, one final comment regarding that is scalability. So you have return on investment that is equal to market. Did you say you scalability? Scalability. scalability. That's correct. Scalability. Okay. Yep. That's correct. Millions of people are going to benefit from your research or technology at a, at a cost. And yes, you are going to have a return on investment. So those are the two key things that we look at innovations. Is obviously we improve patient outcomes. That's patient first. That's Cleveland Clinic motto. We patient first then return on investment and scalability. How many patients can we treat? How many patients' lives can we improve by using your technology? This, this uh, direct brain stimulation is very interesting to me because um, my father had stroke, died of strokes, uh, had four strokes. My mother-in-law recently um, had multiple strokes, uh, passed away, not from strokes, but it certainly affected her quality of life. And what the direct brain stimulation, as I understand it, could actually stimulate parts of the brain that have effectively gone to sleep or are dormant. Because when you have a stroke now, those parts of the brain, they're just kind of gone. And getting them back mm -hmm. is extremely difficult. It can, it can happen, but it's like not easy. So this is a new technique so that I'm interested in. So what will happen now to this to this innovation, what will happen to move it from the lab or research into the marketplace? Excellent question as well, and it will give, it will give people a sense, and that's where where the where the time line, time frame I was trying to to the message yeah. I was trying to convey. How important it is to analyze what is happening next, and and it's a question that all the researchers and innovators come and ask me. And so, what is going to happen next once that they validated the idea is we have. To, uh, we try to find partnerships that say who wants to license this technology, who wants, who would like to buy this technology for, for us, or we have another avenue that is, can we create a startup? Can we spin off this technology and create a company? 
those are the two main venues that we have to commercialize the solution at Cleveland Clinic. So give me an example of one of each. Give me an example of uh, technology and innovation that you decided to create a startup from at the Cleveland Clinic, within the Cleveland Clinic. Yep. So one of the startups that I'm working closely is Mitria. Mitria is is a medical device that is trying to disrupt the um, mitral the, the mitral valve disease. That's you know that you have the valves in your heart and they close. So Mitra is a company that is trying to disrupt how we are treating that because so far when you have mitral regurgitation, that meaning that your valve cannot close your your valve instead of doing this they do this or they do this instead of going to the middle. And when you need surgery for that, perhaps you are a high-risk patient and you cannot go to surgery. So there are two cardiothoracic surgeons at Cleveland Clinic. They are working together and they are trying to find a way that we can treat that instead of having an upper heart surgery, trying to introduce a device through your leg that can solve that problem. So that's a company that now exists within Cleveland Clinic, and it's called, what is it called? Mitria. That is M-I-T-R-I-A. Mitria. Mitria. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, the other example would be um, a company or a technology and innovation that has been licensed or sold to a third party. Can you give us an example of that as well? So, yes. We have one of them... The companies that it was licensed that we, we were lucky to spin off was Custom Orthopedics, that it was from Dr. Ayanori. That was a solution that was created. Uh, it was a software that was used to uh, plan surgeries, and he developed that technology, as you were mentioning before, many, many years. It took him research, a lot of years of research, and that was a spin off as a, as a third party comp to a third party company. Yeah. I see. And, and so how do you um, how do you make the decision between those two? Like why keep one in house? Why send one out of house, so to speak? Why? Why? What, what? What's the criteria that you look at to do that? That's a secret sauce. We cannot tell you, Michael. That's our. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to tell me you're on a podcast. Yeah. Only yeah. Uh, only 100 percent candor is allowed here. Um, but so but we are a team of teams. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. So we are a team of teams. We don't make a decision as a single individual. We have the engagement team, the assessment team that is the one that do the intellectual property and the market assessment, the development team that does the um, feasibility studies, the regulatory pathway, and then we finally have the commercialization team that we have the licensing team and the spin-off company. So you put all and, that people together and we is, is, we don't have a checklist for saying we do A, B, C, and D. And it's more a team of, of team discussion and it takes time because perhaps at the very beginning you will say, well, we are going to license this, right? And the team that is working in that technology, they had an aha moment. And they say, oh, hold on. We are doing this instead of doing, for example, for for neurology. We are treating this disease in a stroke. Hold on. We can apply that not only to stroke, 
but also to Alzheimer. And not only to neurology, but also to cardiology. So now you have a platform. You don't have a single solution for a single problem. So instead mm. of licensing that, perhaps it makes more sense to do startup and to try to spin off that. And when you do a startup, is it is it always with your own doctors or are there situations where doctors from other institutions would get involved? Um, is it is it always sort of a homegrown solution or is it a solution that starts at the Cleveland cl Clinic and then grows into other relationships? It starts at Cleveland Clinic most of the time. It's something we, we promote the development of intellectual property in-house. However, partnership with external companies, with external doctors can happen. And we are open to that, although we know that there are some struggles, bureaucratic struggles that we need to overcome. And, and we are working to create an ecosystem of innovations, not only in Ohio, in Florida, but as, as you know, now we are, there is a restructuring in Cleveland Clinic and we, we are one Cleveland Clinic. And we are trying to create that ecosystem where we encompass caregivers from all the all the caregivers that we have across the, the globe from London, from Abu Dhabi, from Canada, Florida, Nevada, and we are in a very lucky situation right now. And the the fact um, when you're going through this process, let's let's take the direct brain stimulation. At what point do people outside of your hospital, your hospital system, know about these things? In other words, this was a published published research, so you're. Your scientists, your doctors did that very deliberately. They, you, ha you have to do it deliberately. You can't do it by accident. We're going to publish it. We're going to let the, the medical world, the scientific world know what we have. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe we'll make a product. We'll create a product. We'll create a company. So how does that um, – um, that could be a very hard decision. I guess my question is, do, do you find that third-party companies interested in your innovation, technology transfer, et cetera, are they always calling you up on the phone? Are you always getting emails from them? Hey, what's going on? Any new ones? Do you, how does this work? How, do you, how does the word get out? Yes, and you have different channels. You have many, for example, I'm going to Las Vegas to a, a conference in two weeks, and there you are going to be networking with people and seeing what they are interested in and what things they're also they are developing. And I will say that also we are developing our website for external, you can visit our external website of Cleveland Clinic Innovation and you will see the portfolio of companies that we have there. And you will have a, you will be able to subscribe to our newsletter and to have information about our companies and what things that we are developing. So I will, it's a two, three, 10 ways pathway that it can intersect that you were mentioning. Either you can be interested in something and yes, I received some emails of people saying, hey, we want to know what is happening at Cleveland Clinic uh, and the other way around. We have our venture capital arm and our commercialization team, the licensing that they go and see what what is the market appetite for at this actual moment, because that changes. How, how about your venture capital arm? What kind of investments do you have in that now? So if you visit our website, you will see traditionally, traditionally, Cleveland Clinic, we have been focusing on mainly, not mainly, but I will say 60% of our portfolio was or 70% medical devices. But little by little, we're trying okay. to diversify. 
medical devices. But now you will see in that portfolio, you will see companies in therapeutics space, obviously more in the digital space. And we cannot have a podcast without saying that we are having artificial intelligence technologies that are trying to do predictive analytics in order to identify patients in the risk of having X or Y disease. I see. Now, um, Bernardo, I wanted to ask you, now you've had quite a journey. You're in Florida now at the Cleveland Clinic, um, but you've had quite a journey to get there. And um, you and I were actually in Basalt, Colorado, hard to believe, at the same moment. Um, I think it was around 2010. Maybe you can remind me exactly when. But um, I was living there and um, you had just come to America and you had a job in the local diner, essentially, the Two Rivers Cafe in Basalt, Colorado, a great little spot. Uh, how did you get there? How did that happen? Chance, looking. You know, it, was, <laughs> it was in 2008, actually, the, the, the season of the ski season of 2008-2009. I was working at Aspen Ski Company and there is a very big program in South America. I was I was born and raised in Argentina and in Latin America we have a very big program that is work and travel. And it's a J1B visa for those that they want to come to the United States and work during the season. And it happened that the season I chose in that moment was winter and I was lucky enough. We're talking about in 2008 that WhatsApp didn't exist. Facebook was just the beginning of Facebook. And I found a job sending an email every night to different restaurants, different cafes, and was lucky enough that one of those cafes was two creeks in a snowmass. And they say, yes, we hired you. And I went there and I spent an amazing winter season. Yeah. So so um, were you a skier or snowboarder at that point? I didn't. Uh, uh, funny enough, I was living in a skiing place where it was... I, I was never able to go to ski and because I was working for Aspen Skiing Company, I had my ski pass and the the guys in front of the, the restaurant I was working with, they were kind enough always to lend us some ski equipment. And one day there was completely snow and I say, I'm going to give it a try. This must not be that complicated. And <laughs> so like more of the stuff in my life, I did it learning by doing, and oh, I was lucky enough to survive in one piece. So yes, but <laughs> after that, I, I, I learned how to ski during those four months that I spent in Aspen. It was a very good experience to learn how oh, to good, ski. Oh, good, good for you. That's, that's, that's really great. Um, but it seems like that's, now you're a doctor, um, and you're a medical doctor, and you're at, you know, the Cleveland Clinic. It's only, you know, less than 15 years, 15 years later or so. So how did you get from there to here? It, it was a long, long journey, as you were mentioning. So I, I, if we take it from the, the, the moment I came back from the US in 2008, I finished med school and I went to Spain, did my residency in cardiology. I did, it's a five years residency program. Then I did three more years of heart failure. And then I realized that it wasn't my thing. I was more interested in other things. And I did a master in healthcare economics. And at that moment, I came back to the U.S. with my girlfriend at the time. And I joined the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs and net in Denver, right. Colorado. And I started networking with Arlen Mayers. He was kind enough to introduce me. Yes, who we, both, who we both know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Does a great job. So, yeah. 
Arlen is a connector and he connected me with a, with the CEO of a startup at that moment that is Wellian. And I started working with them as a medical advisor, then the chief scientific officer. And that opened the door to came to the U.S. with the startup. And a friend of mine was working at Cleveland Clinic as a research, uh, as a cardiologist. And he hired me to be part of the research department. That's fast forward in 2020. So I ended up at Cleveland Clinic Florida working as a research associate. And one year later, I did a fellowship in innovation with Cleveland Clinic that opened me the opportunity to work with the innovations department. So I went from clinical to research, entrepreneur, and now intrapreneur or innovation, if you will. Yeah, when you ha- were at that startup, what does that company do? Well, Wellian, is it? What What did that company Wellian, do? Wellian, that's correct. We use, a, at that moment, voice assistant speaking, that is Alexa device mainly, to collect clinical history automatically. Because as a cardiologist, I found the problem that I have spent, and nowadays we still have spent 80 or 90% of our time doing clinical documentation. And for me, it's unthinkable that we still need to spend that much time editing a war file or epic or well, it's really what we yes, call we, paperwork it's paperwork right paperwork that's correct yes yeah and imagine if we can delete that or reduce it to a minimum necessary that instead of spending 80 or 90 percent of your time doing that you spend time with your patients you spend time thinking you spend time updating your skills as a physician do entrepreneurs, uh, founders, startups, do they bring innovations to you? Do you ever take ideas from outside and implement them? We are, we are trying to, we know that it's complicated. We are trying to streamline that process. And we would like to, as I was mentioning at the beginning, trying to create an ecosystem where we can provide not only the development of intellectual property from inside, but also what they call open innovation, if you want, some people might call it open innovation, where you're benefiting from the, the perspective of other people from outside. However, the problem is also that I found is some people, they believe that this is a partnership and sometimes what you hear is a sales pitch. And I'm fine with that. If you want to sell something to Cleveland Clinic, that's fine. But we, we, are, we are not perhaps the, the best um, target for that. We want to work with you and and see if we can develop intellectual property together. Aha, uh-huh. so you would you do accept those kind of uh uh overtures and those kind of conversation get in those kind of conversations. And how does does this um what what about technology transfer? Does does technology transfer come into this? Do you do anything to um to try to get the technology, the inventions, the innovations into different markets around the world? Or is it more like the markets come to you? We are trying to, to do it. We are focusing on mainly on the U.S. at this moment. And, and as I, me- I was mentioning, we are lucky enough to have institutions across the globe. And it will be great if we can implement that. Yes, it will be. It's a, it will be a dream come true if we can finally see how we can take our great technology that we are developing at Cleveland Clinic across the globe. Oh, that's exciting. So what do you see, Bernardo, uh, in the future? Uh, we've got a few minutes left here. Um, there's obviously incredible firepower 
by that I mean just intellectual uh, smarts, great people at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, medicine, my impression of medicine, not an expert on it, um, but I do see a lot of companies and I do see a lot of innovation. And it seems like there's just um, uh, a plethora, a wellspring of innovation everywhere in the in the health realm, right? Um, what do you see happening in that area of health, healthcare innovation, medical innovation over the next five to 10 years? What's, what are we, what should we be looking for? Well, and one of the first thoughts is that if the human being is very good at it, is, sorry, we are very bad at it, is predicting the future. We don't know what is going to happen. We're very bad at doing that. (laughs) That being said, what I, more than what I expect or, it's, or what I predict is what I would like to see. I would like to see more open innovation. I would like to see more freedom to operate in the sense of if Michael has an idea, Bernardo has an idea, and you work at whatever, and I work at X company, we should have an easier way to collaborate to improve patient outcomes. If we are improving patient outcomes, that should be straightforward. By straightforward, I mean, yes, we need, obviously, first, do not harm. That's the first thing in medicine. Second of all, you need to benefit, and I need to benefit, and patients need to benefit. So win, 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 win situations. And that's it's something that I, I, I would like to see and more with access. I think that we're in an era that access to information, access to technology, access to get in contact right now. You are in one place, I'm in another, and maybe in two weeks we will be different places where we can connect. I envision that, or I would like to see more access and easier ways to connect uh, with technology, not only in in the U.S., but from outside the U.S. as well. Why is it so hard to collaborate, to to work together in, in this area? We are selfish individuals. That's (laughs) <laughs> we're, right. we're, we we want to no I'm just kidding I I have to think I, I think that there's I mean, not a single reason why it's so difficult I mean what I would you say think? you know people are selfish people people do want credit um, people are you know less likely to share the invention or the innovation um, or to give up control of it I guess is that is that the problem is that the is there kind of a Selfishness about that in the in the medical realm. I, I will need to think a lot about what is the main reason. If I have to tell you what I why what I not suffer, but I, I see every day is bureaucracy. We need to a lot of red tape to overcome. Yes, that red tape is completely necessary. Once again, we need uh, to be doing something that is safe, that is improving patient outcomes all the time. That's our main message, we cannot mess up with that. And at, and at the same time, you have, we need to learn, for example, I always see with very good eyes how we can fly from one place to another very safely. We go to the airport, we most of the time get there in on time or we are a little bit delayed, but we know that we are going to get to the other place and that's a very well-oiled machine that healthcare can learn a lot from that. Yeah, that's that's not how it works in medicine typically. Um, Unfortunately, but no, it is not. 
I mean, it's been, you know, since I was young, um, you know, since I was a kid, I remember doctors back then complaining about bureaucracy and paperwork and red tape and um, perhaps looking forward to, you know, computerization as a way to make things better. But, you know, it's it's really maddening. It doesn't seem to really have changed that much. Um, you know, how many times have you been asked to not just in a medical context, but asked to repeat your name and your social security number and your phone number and, you know, where you live and all of that. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, well, I want to remind our, our listeners, this is the Accelerator Podcast with Michael Conniff. We are on all the major platforms, Audible, Adobe, Apple, many, many others, also on Spotify and YouTube for audio and video. Um, and, uh, we, we have done close to, if not more than a hundred already, uh, of the accelerator and the angel podcast. Um, and, uh, we want to remind you to rate us, rank us, subscribe to us, um, uh, share us. Um, and we'd be grateful for all of that. And, uh, we want to thank our friend, our new friend, Bernardo, um, Perez Villa. He is the senior innovations engagement partner at Cleveland clinic innovations and uh bernardo it's a real pleasure to uh talk to a fellow former basaltine as people <laughs> from basalt colorado are called and uh you know somebody who uh who made some turns on the slopes of uh of colorado so thank you so much for being with us we really appreciate it thank you so much michael and anytime that you need anything from me please you know that i'm here thank you so appreciate much appreciate that and thank you, uh, all of you, for listening. And uh, remember, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.